Welcome to the Toffee TV podcast. We've got Paul Neelam joining us from the Irish Football Fan TV channel there on YouTube. We've got John Blaine with us as well, who has so many hats that I can't remember all the things that John does. Part of Everton Business Matters podcast. He's the chairman of Everton's uh, Shareholders Association. He's got lots of others that I'm not going to name. <laughs> But uh, and he's also. I just like to. I just like to hear you, big John. Up. That's all it is. There you go. That's all it is. There you go. Uh, gents, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Hi guys. Thanks, Right. Let's let's get into I'm it. Good. The, so much fallout from the derby. It's incredible. Um, let's do something that a lot of people are not talking about at the moment. The actual football match. <laughs> Yeah, because okay. uh, I think we, you know, we can talk about Pickford in a moment and the fallout from that. But Baz, just to start, um, what are your general feelings about the way Everton played on Saturday against Liverpool? Uh, I was disappointed, to be honest, with the way we played. Not not so much the way the results and and everything else that's gone. But I I think going into it, I hoped that we would be we would continue to play uh, the free flowing football that we've been playing. Um, and I guess in that you have to give credit to Liverpool. Obviously, we were playing we were playing the best team we played this season, no question about it. And they press really well, don't they? They, they? they press better than any team we've faced. So therefore, it was gonna disrupt us slightly from what we've been doing. But I just felt as though Everton looked like they had four or five players who weren't fully fit. And by that I mean we'd obviously had Seamus Coleman coming back from a hamstring injury. Less than two weeks before he actually did it, we had Alan back in the side after a bit of an injury. We had Gomez back in after an injury, and we also had Hamez, Yeri Mina, and Richarlison coming back from uh, a day's mm. it was a day's training, wasn't it? Which was light training. So I, I guess it disrupted the way we played. But the plus I took from it was even though we went behind twice, we still we still hung in there and we still showed that desire and ability to come back. Mm. Paul, were you um, any negatives from from Saturday, or or did you see it as a good point? Well, I I just kind of want to add to what you said there. I, I do think we didn't play well at all. Come out with a with a point was good because we've gone by in years. Gone by, played absolutely brilliant and never got a result. So to go there, play badly and still come from behind twice. I thought that showed a lot more character than we have in previous derbies. What you said there as well about players being leggy, we did look really slow and I did feel as though watching them from the start, like from the first ball was kicked, they were sharp at absolutely everything. I thought Hamez slowed up. I don't know whether that was from the knock he took from Van Dijk, but he, he took about 20 minutes to get into the game after that. and He kind of set our tone, I think. So when he started getting it, then obviously he was the one who gave the ball up to Dom to help get the, the first shot off for the goal. So I think it took him 20 minutes to get into the game, but I think I think it took a lot of the players, you know, even Coleman for the first goal, getting over to Robertson. He was probably, you know, too eager to get over to him. And because he got so close to him, he got that ricochet, didn't he, for the Mane goal, the first one. So, yeah, I just thought we, we started really slowly, but I was happy the fact that when we go a goal down, I didn't feel have this feeling of, oh no, we're a goal down, we're not going to score like I have on the previous managers. But I felt as though we always were in the game. Even at times when we didn't have the ball and stuff like that, I did feel as though we were always in the game. We did ride our look a little bit, but then again, so did they. John, what are your thoughts on it coming out of it now? Um, it's, it is an interesting one, and I probably endorse what Paul says, really, which is, in days gone by, we, we would have, and, and Baz started to say this, we'd have thought, we, we need to be up for this game. They've got hammered 7-2 in the game before. You would expect them to be up for it. We need to be up for it. It needs to be a bit of blood and thunder type of start. You know, earn the right to play your football. And Van Dijk put himself about in the first 90 seconds, and, you know, 30 seconds to a minute later, they go 1-0 up. And you think, oh, dear, this is um, business as usual, if you will, yeah? Um, but I'm like Paul, I, I, I didn't feel concerned. I was pretty damn sure we would score. I think what we have now is a level of quality in the squad. That means we can actually be under the cosh for a long period of, of games. And 
and a moment of brilliance, a great pass by someone like Hammers, a first-time ball by Dean, and before you know it, you're back in it, you know, sort of thing. So I always felt we'd get something out of the game. I think their manager was quite telling at the end because he was delighted with how well they played. You know, he thought they played better against us than they'd ever played before at our place. Uh, and, and obviously that says we deserve to win. Um, I'm less convinced, personally, that they deserve to win. But I'm really pleased that we play as good as they can play and we've got a draw. So, yeah, I'm cool. Yeah, really if, cool. If John, just to, to continue on that, it was a real compliment from Klopp, wasn't it, on the starting line as he played? It because was. He, ne he never goes strong against us. And, and he's got reasons, and I understand the reasons. He tries to separate the, the passion of the game from where you know Everton have been in the last couple of years. But in, certainly in this game, he went for his strongest side. And like you've just said there, the words after the game were to push the narrative that Liverpool had been excellent and had been denied what they deserved. So you know that's a compliment, isn't it, really? Yeah, I think the, the compliment started uh, clearly how he set them up, as you say. But also in those first 30 seconds or 90 seconds when he did both of them, when Van Dijk felt the need to assert himself on Hammers and on DCL. And Hammers looked at him as if to say, what's that all about? DCL just got up and brushed himself down. So, yeah, I think they would have seen that as a huge victory had they won, which is why no doubt they celebrated with, with such um, uh, enthusiasm when they scored an offside goal. But, um, yeah, I, I think we play below par. We've taken on the team who allegedly are the very best in the league. And um, I'm quite disappointed we didn't win because I think if we played our game, we would have done. Paul, just talk me through your experience in that last minute because, or certainly, certainly <laughs> in the extra minute, because personally, for, I didn't for one second think that goal was going to get disallowed. There was just in no world were Liverpool going to be denied and he, uh, a winning goal at Goodison Park by VAR because I when you looked at it, it doesn't didn't look offside. So you know what what were your well how did you experience those couple of minutes? I was actually watching it in uh, in a pub in Dublin called Harry's on the Green with uh, an Irish Everton supporters club, uh, Emerald Evertonians. We were watching it in there and. When I seen the ball go to Mane originally on the normal camera angle, I said he was offside, just just as a joke, almost optimistically saying he was offside. And then obviously what happened happened. They they got the goal and we're all sitting there dejected. And I think Carlo's face when that goal went in summed up how pretty much all of us were feeling. But I know it definitely summed up how I was feeling at the time. And you now we were all sitting there absolutely dejected that here we are, this has happened to us once again in this game that seems to always happen, no matter what, we are always cursed. And then ultimately when it was disallowed, and we were actually looking at it going, it's offside. Like I was only, as I just said there, I was only joking, optimistically saying, you know, this could be offside. And like his upper arm or whatever it is, 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 is you know, it's pulled for offside. And, we all celebrated like it was a goal and everybody on the street, because it's right on the street where this where this bar is, you know, and then um, you're outside watching it. And everybody on the street was obviously raging about it, Liverpool fans, because they were all coming by when a goal went, went in for, I think it was the second goal, they were all raging. They were all, who scored, who scored, trying to, you know, trying to get us to say who it was who scored. And then when Dom scored, there was everyone was quiet that was walking past. Uh, so... For those moments, yeah, I mean, your your heartstrings are pulling everywhere. You're going from one absolute low to ejection. Not to be said, like, and I, and I said it in the Sunday supplement as well. I wasn't celebrating the fact that it was a draw, but when you get out of jail like that, considering how many times we've been cursed over the years with this fixture, that to get out of one for once and have something go our way for once was a nice feeling, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, doesn't really happen, Baz, does it? Very, uh, very often. No, no. I mean, I am like you. When it went in, I'm I'm watching it with me little fella, and Zach is the ultimate optimist. I I hope he stays like that, you know, because <laughs> um, he's going. Obviously, he was. We were devastated when we seen it because it seemed to go in in slow motion, didn't it? 
when the ball's cut back to Pickford and uh, sorry, cut back to Henderson and he hit it. As it's going to Pickford, I'm thinking, thank God for that. He's right behind it because you can see this is how your mind processes. And then when it loops in the air, there's that. If there was a camera on me and they would have done that thing where they slow it down, you would have just heard, no, because it was just <laughs> spinning up into the air and then you see it at the net. And then I don't know whether it's just me, but there's that moment where it's that can't be allowed because yeah. it looked wrong <laughs> and then they run off and you just like, your heart sinks, you feel a bit sick. And then it's Zach's coming offside. And I'm like, what? Because I'd threw my phone at this stage. Um, and I'm like, don't be ridiculous, mate. And they showed the line. They showed it, and I'm thinking, he's onside because it looked it. Zach's on that. They, they won't give it. Ultimate optimist. And I need to listen to him more. But when when it came up with no goal, it was it was celebratory levels. Because obviously, you're looking at it thinking, we've been done again. Mm. We've been done again in injury time, spawnily. In a game he didn't deserve to win. And then obviously, a minute later, I'm convinced the universe is about to give me every Christmas I've ever wanted when we got that free kick at the end. Because I was convinced we were going to win it. But it was an amazing, an amazing range of emotions from devastation to relief. And then to hope that we might actually win it. Did you think we were going to steal it there, John, in that in that last chance, that free kick? I will um, be a day one. It, yeah, I mean, we all, I guess, blues throughout the world went through the same emotions, didn't they? My, I, you know, this is an adult program, I think. My, my, I was saying for fuck's sake, yeah, on the sofa with with Theresa and mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With, with, well, it's, it comes out. You can't help it, can you? And, and my missus was very distraught. Not again was her view. You know. And, and then the VAR review comes up and you think they're going through the motions. But when they take a bit longer over it, you think, hang on a minute. But to answer your question, I turned to her as soon as the free, come on, let's win this now. That would be the ultimate kick in the what's-its, you know, is to go up the end, the other end, and, and finish it off. You know, Origi, all that stuff passes across your mind. You know, where, 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 and it was slow motion, Baz, you're right. It, you know, I never even criticised the keeper. I, I saw it loop up off his arm, and I thought, "Oh, okay, he's just going to catch this." And then you you realise it's in the net. And you're, oh man, you know. Um, but this is how the tide turns. You start getting the look. You know, we can have jokes on social media of people saying, "Well, the big teams always get the VAR decisions." Yeah. Well, maybe that's the start of us not always being on the on the wrong end of them. And then what's followed over the weekend from the uh, propaganda machine that, that the other side have has just been outrageous but uh, I think as I again as I tweeted I checked and it still says 2-2 in the record book so that'll do yeah I um, I'd seen it today Everton put a video out from all alternate angles oh yeah it was the first time I'd seen the Calvert-Lewin thing again and oh my god Yeri Mina is about two inches away from winning it mm. as he heads it Mina goes and adds in just catches it if it had got to him, he's won the game for us. And it's like, it, honest to God, and look at the look at the smile because I would have still, I'd have been yeah. sat here full Gary Lineker up on match of the day with my bills on for this one. If you didn't mean it, would have won that day. I I haven't watched it again because I, I I don't think I can bring myself to just look at those last moments and think what if. <laughs> I almost just sort of took the bit of luck and just thought, right, we've had we'll our luck. With it. Don't, you know, and maybe that's where, as Evertonians, we have to start being a little bit greedy and demanding a little bit more of, mm. of it and thinking, no, no, we can't win these games now. We've That's not luck. That's that's an offside decision. That's the decision. way it is, yeah. That's just the way it is. Um, and let's, before like you bring Paul and let's be clear, he was offside. Yeah, the yeah. rule, the rule is rubbish. We, I think, I don't yeah, think yeah. any of us would disagree. The rule isn't great because it's a, it's a upper arm or it's a, a, a she sleeves blown in that fraction. But, by the letter of the law, he was offside, wasn't mm-hmm. he? We mightn't like it, but I mean, I don't remember an outcry when Dominic Calvert-Lewin's goal was chalked off in February against Manchester United, no. incorrectly. It just kind of went, ah, VAR, the way it is, isn't it? You get on with it. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm, sorry. Well, what I, what Baz, I think, Baz, Baz... Sorry, John. So, sorry, Baz, I was just saying that you told... Yeah, sorry. Satellite delay, yeah. obviously, yeah. Um, the thing that happens with this VAR thing is, which I, I don't know if you guys have seen it, I've not seen it, but um, when we had the challenge, the stuff like a Brighton and what have you, within a day or so, you know, the refereeing or Premier League or whoever does it, apologise, sorry, we got it wrong, 
Yeah. Can't it, we haven't had anyone saying they got these wrong, have we? You know, the referees haven't owned up and said VAR got it wrong or we got it wrong. And, and as you say, and in fact, Ped started it when he said, let's talk about the football. Um, people have forgotten it was offside. It wasn't unfortunate. It wasn't they should have won. It was offside. So so that's the end of it. And it literally is the end of it until the next game, I suppose, when we see whether, you know, it gets a bit fiery because of what happened this time. Yeah, it was just part of the package, wasn't it? It was part of the um, the, the, the package for the... Uh, they could present as a, as a case against us and against the Premier League and against the referees and VAR and all the rest of it. At the end of the day... They're the laws, and like you just said, we're, we're, you know, no, there was no outcry in terms of from the Premier League. And going back to what Baz just said about what happened at the Man United game, when we had the goal this lad in last minute, that was more of an interpretation, wasn't it? Mm. When Dominic Carvalho's goal was disallowed, when Sigurdsson was in that seated position, that mm. was an interpretation of the law rather than a VAR decision. You know, if mm. we had if we had the directive we have now, where the referees go to the screen, then that. Could have been um, given. They could, you know, the referee could have gone over to the screen and made his own decision. But this decision is a is an offside. Black it's a light. It's yeah. a line. It's black and white. That's the law. And and you know, people have been bemoaning that it should have been given. Well, it shouldn't. They're the rules. Mm. You know that. You, if you want to change the rules, that's up to that's up to the you know whoever's in charge and the referees and all the rest of it. But as it stands, they're the rules. My only thing with the Calvert-Lewin, and we're going to move on because that was months ago, but my only thing with the Calvert-Lewin was Spurs got the same goal yeah. a few weeks later. That's what annoyed me. If Spurs would have been chalked off as well for the same thing, you'd go, well, that's the way they're interpreting mm -hmm. it. But it wasn't. But, you know, it, like you say, it ended 2-2 and you come away and I think the lads have both said it and we certainly said it, you know, Two things you need to do: is praise Liverpool for coming to the league leaders and having a right good, they had a good go. goal. They had a you good know, goal. fair play to them. Not many teams will do that. Go to the top teams and have a good go. But secondly, was the fact that we didn't play well, and yet we still were able to come back and you know, and they're they're lauding how well they played. Apparently, I didn't see it like that. I thought they had a couple of good spells in the game where we we they kept us at arm's length. We couldn't get near them. But then other times we were well in the game and. You come away and go, best team we've played, 10 to 2 2. Could have won it, could have lost it, and we, we need to go mm. forward now. John, um, let's just talk about the Jordan Pickford situation in terms of sure. uh, the criticism he has received in the last few days and the, 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 the campaign of abuse and the targeting of him and, and almost a deflection away from what's happened in the game to put it all down on him and, and somehow him being this. Huge hate figure now in it, not only in Liverpool's world but in the world of football. It, it's disappointing. I mean, if we look at social media, it brings out the worst in people. It's an echo chamber that they are keyboard warriors. We can come up with a whole host of cliches, and, and we see this from the red side quite often. And we've got our own idiots as well. But when you know a respected journalist like Henry Winter. Um, at the Times, pours more fuel onto the fire and talks about duty of care when this goalkeeper's got police outside his house to protect his family. They've lost the plot, haven't they? They've completely lost the plot. And I think we may see, you know, some retrospective on this where whether it's editors or journalists themselves think if something untoward had happened or does happen in the future on Jordan Pickford, but hopefully the passage of Time means people will forget, or at least it leaves in front of their head, I suppose, that they should have behaved slightly differently. And I think it puts Everton Football Club in a diff difficult situation because the football club can try and counter the propaganda with positive propaganda, but that just keeps it as a news story. And I think this story needs to be put to sleep, and it'll get put to sleep as soon as another game is played, particularly. Uh, the red team and I think were they playing tonight or tomorrow tonight, yeah. whenever they're playing you know that will bring stories um, which hopefully will dampen this down but you can visualise if Ajax scored a goal which some pundit somewhere decides wouldn't have got scored if Virgil van Dijk was playing then the story gains more life um, I just think it's outrageous it's, it looked coordinated but I don't think it was I, I just think 
some journalists got really lazy jumping on a bandwagon that they thought was OK and without thinking about the consequences. And I just hope the football club remembers which journalists were balanced and which ones went a little bit too far. How have you seen this, Paul? Because you, you might come into it from a slightly different angle because you're away from the the bubble we see ourselves in being within the city. Has it been slightly different in the Irish press or you know, amongst people that you know or friends or just within your Irish football fan TV bubble? Probably clumsy, but you pick for it first and foremost. And we all know that like it was a stupid challenge. I don't think he meant it all the same. And I do agree with the, the points that you made on the final word about it. Uh, in terms of the fallout, I mean, there's loads of them over here. They don't even go to games and stuff like that. And they're all the biggest armchair fans ever giving it to me on, on our WhatsApp, especially our football team. And straight after the result, they were like, oh, you, you were so lucky. You were this, you were that. You know, Everton have filled the assets. You just don't even remember any of the challenges over the years. Like, the only bad challenge I can actually think of that we've made off recent memory is the Morales one on Suarez mm. before the weekend. And other than that, it's mainly been them with the filthy challenges flying in. That That's my take on, on, on that. But they all seem to forget that. And I said to them, I said, have you only started supporting Liverpool when Klopp has been there? Or something? You forget all these things happen. And they were like, oh, you haven't won a trophy since 1995. They just go back to all that type of stuff because they can't, they just they just don't know past Klopp or pre-Klopp. They, they have all this kind of recency bias and they, they forget about all the kind of older stuff that's happened over the years, the amount of times that we've been fucked over. Like, no one went on a witch one for Steven Gerrard when he stamped on, on Gary Naismith. Now, I know Gary Naismith's not Virgil van Dijk. I mean, that's not even compared. But... Isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's these things where, you know, it's just totally taken absolutely... Like, it, it wouldn't be as bad as they're, they're calling to go to Pickford's house because Ireland have now gone into a lockdown or something. But it wouldn't surprise me if some idiot decided that he was going to get a boat over and start vlogging it or something stupid like that. They're a totally deluded <laughs> fan base, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your man, yeah. <laughs> but not him, actually, yeah. But uh, we won't even go there because you're obsessed, apparently. But um, yeah, it's. It, I haven't seen that much in terms of uh, you know abuse. They're all calling him an idiot and stuff like that, and there's a total overreaction. I think it's calmed down a little bit over here. Probably, probably not as much as over there. But I think. You know, a lot of them just try to stay relevant mm. for the sake of staying relevant and just try to cause controversy to get their podcast hits or, you know, that type of stuff. I, I love the 95 shout because to me, that's the equivalent of calling me ginger. You know, it's like it. Uh, so, one. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like street one. Yeah, I, like, you know, people have been calling me that since the year dot. Like, I they somehow think that. By saying 1995, or even just like showing pictures of them winning trophies, that it it, it actually bothers us. It's mad. But just Baz, just on the Pickford situation, do you think some of the media have been waiting for this to happen? Because clearly, a lot of the media don't want him to be the England keeper. Forget about him being the Everton keeper. A lot of them don't want to be the him to be the England keeper. And we've seen some last week with Gary Neville straight on to him. Do you think this is like almost like the media have been waiting for this to? use as the stick to beat him because they clearly don't want him to be England number one. Uh, well, it's the free hit, isn't it? It's the free hit they needed. They, they were, you were right, you know, last week I had tweeted something after Aaron Neville, you know, the, the goal England conceded, the penalty, which was Kyle Walker, all Kyle Walker's doing. He was on about Pickford. We'll never win anything with this goalie. Mm. In. And you're looking going, mate, forget about the keeper. You're back four. Can't win anything because they're garbage. They can't defend. Alexander-Arnold, Walker, whoever you put it right, they can't defend. The centre-backs are grim. Harry Maguire players like that. So they were just pinning everything on Pickford. And then you take that to then the press, who don't want him in. Because you're right, you know, there's been this call for months now. They want Pope in, or until Nick Pope goes in and makes a mistake, then he'll be the worst. They've done this with England keepers, but Pickford is the, is the hate figure at the moment. This, unfortunately, for George Pickford and for Everton, has poured petrol on the fire. And some of the stuff that's gone on since, you've got that. You've got James Pearce, who was terrible at inciting stuff in this city when he worked for the, the Liverpool Echo. Don't forget that thing he done after the 2012, the nil-nil at Anfield, and he had the DVD, he'll be out tomorrow, mm. was his first sentence in a local paper of a nil-nil draw. 
you know, and they're celebrating, they haven't won it. He was every every time he was digging at Everton. And I know John might see this slightly different, and we've had this that they should be biased. There's a level of professionalism. You can be biased and be professional. James Pierce has never been professional. Mm. And then you've got him in the athletic making all kinds of things yesterday. You've got, like John said, Henry Winter, who's normally very balanced, making saying lines like um, malicious challenge, as if it was pre-planned, mm. as if Jordan Pickford thought, we're 1-0 down, mm. we haven't had a kick yet. I know, I'll go and give a penalty away and get sent off and make it 2-0 after five minutes. And then other journalists have done it, that clown John Cross. He needs to be banned for as long as... They, I don't remember any of these calling Keith, for son. And you Keith Hackett. Keith Hackett, ex-referee. Keith Hackett. So I didn't think he was still around. That's still a thing. But it's, this is the fella who appointed Mark Clattenburg, the mm. Derby referee, in 2007. You know, and oh, in hindsight, he wasn't expert. It's just nonsense. It's dead easy to come out. But I think... I honestly think we nailed it yesterday. They've gone route one again with these... Liverpool are the big thing... How do I get the most clicks and the most hits onto my thing? Keep the story going. We can get five days out of this, lads. And so each one, every day, puts their little bit in. And last night, Dini Wijnaldum, that was like gold for them. That. Mm. that was like gold. Some clown in midfield who has kicked out more than he's been kicked, saying Everton take it further every derby. Forgetting Andy Robertson stamping on Allen the other day, forgetting Andy Robertson kneeing Tom Davis in the back of the head, Trent Alexander-Arnold putting Richarlison three foot in the air at Anfield last, se- yeah, last season. Other things that have gone on in derby matches, poor challenges. But if you put it all on Everton, it gives you an excuse then. It gives you an excuse as A, why you didn't win, and B, we're doing well at the top of the league, let's start making people have to look out for their challenges. So I think it's been nonsense, but you're right, Dave. It's given the press a free kick at Jordan Pickford, definitely. Yeah, and I think what John just I, said can, before... Can I just say... Go on, Paul. Sorry, Pat. Um, I was just saying, I would like to see someone from our club, whether it's a player, or a teammate, or Carlo or something, just come out and kind of back Pickford or just, you know, publicly, like the way Wijnaldum has done for, for Liverpool, you know, chastising him. I'd like to see one of our players or teammates just kind of coming out and publicly backing him or something like that. I still think he was at fault or whatever, but... You know, for the level of abuse, I'm sure he's not doing well at the moment. Like maybe personally, in his own head, he probably feels terrible for what he did. I don't know. I don't know him personally, but you know, I would like to see someone come out and publicly support him. If they haven't already, I haven't seen anything publicly, but I would like to see that. Yeah, uh, I'm sure they will as we get closer to the game on Sunday. I'm sure they'll be back. And Carla will speak. Carla will say say what he needs to say. Uh, let's move on. Um, once again this week, the well Liverpool again, Manchester United are trying to destroy football as we know it. Uh, this happened all last week, but yes, the the details of a European Super League, apparently backed by FIFA, emerged. John, what do you think this Super League would, uh, this proposed Super League, would do to English football and and the Premier League and our pyramid? I'm not sure it's a worthy debate, to be honest, Ped, because it's not going to happen, is it? Well, just indulge me, John. Just, just indulge me. Let's, 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 you know, put it out there and see how they're going to destroy football. <laughs> okay, sorry, I didn't, didn't realise you had an editorial agenda that's about destroying <laughs> football. Um, I mean, to be serious, um, if you go back to Project Big Picture and indeed this this European Super League thing, it's fundamentally about those um, football clubs who are probably as much as anything to do with the fact that they're American-owned. And the way sport is managed in Europe, and particularly in, in England, is fundamentally different to the way it is in North America. So there's alien things go on here, isn't there, like promotion and relegation and things like this. Yeah. So this European uh, Super League thing is FIFA trying to assert itself. So that means we can anticipate some form of headbanging between UEFA and FIFA, it's around the time when they, they being UEFA, start debating what should be the shape of the European competitions, be it the Champions League, um, the Europa League, or whatever that new thing's called, the Conference League, or whatever it's called. Yeah. So I guess the sti- it's it's a you know it's a sti- you know, political movement to to stimulate attention that says fundamentally we don't get what we want. We've got this alternative. Um, what would it do? 
I think it would, what it would do, I guess, is, I think we talked about this offline probably, some of those clubs would realise that being at the top of the English Premier League is far more attractive being the bottom of the Super League in Europe. And it would get boring and stagnant. And I think what they'll want is to have their cake and eat it. They'll want to have the European Super League and still have the Premier League. And and so what we could be here is, and, and we, we look at the beautiful game stuff that Gary Neville and Bernstein have been pushing, which is about independent governance. All those things are, are all in the melting pot. And see, sequence, they come out because, you know, forming your own little committee like Neville and Bernstein and Denise Lewis and Andy Burnham have done, I don't know what makes them more or less qualified to comment than any other, but in some respects, that's all Liverpool or FSG did with Manchester United and Chelsea before they dragged in to play Arsenal, Tottenham, uh, you know, uh, and um, decided, let, and City, of course, and decided, let, let's see if we can make this thing happen. What would it do to football? I think it brings uncertainty, and uncertainty is never good. Um, if you talk about broadcast rights, I guess we can anticipate the broadcast rights and, and the value of those is going to go down anyway on the back of COVID and so on. But putting in a layer of uncertainty makes it even more demanding to try and get better deals. And Manchester United, of course, are losing shed loads of money at the moment. Um, Liverpool, no doubt, will announce similar poor results on the back of not being able to have people in the stadium. And they're going to be looking to how they can... Uh, you know, look after themselves, really. And, and I think all the behaviours, uh, Ped, are about self-interest. And, and and I think that's where the solidarity of the league needs to come to the fore, which means people like Denise um, standing up in the Premier League meeting saying we need to trust each other. That's the hard part. So mistrust, we can anticipate getting worse. And uh, maybe, just maybe, when it all comes out the other end, we will be in a better place because... If some of these clubs think they're better off somewhere else, I, for one, would advocate letting them go. Um, they think that what's left behind would be, you know, a non-viable product. And I disagree. I think the pyramid system is what makes the English football so special and we need to protect it as best we can. And I think, actually, the people who listen to your show and Paul and the people who listen to his show, they're the ones who are going to decide what really happens. The fans, yeah? You know, the pay-per-view thing, was it a rumour like 90 people watched the, was it whichever the, one of the pay-per-view mm. games? And fan power might actually become a thing. Yeah. And, and it would be really cool if it yeah, did. Yeah, it would be. I mean, I think, like, obviously last week when um, there was talk of the, of, of the top six or whatever it was taking over the Premier League, that was the opening, that was the opening goal, wasn't it? Mm. This is the second bit. For me, Baz, I, I said this to you yesterday, I see it ultimately ending with six Premier League teams being in a revised Champions League. I think that's what they want. I think they want certainties, like like John just saying there. You want certainties, and they want to know that they're going to be in the Champions League every year. Man United and Liverpool want to know that they're going to be in the Champions League every year and have that guaranteed money. And I that, to me, is where I can see it ending up. Well, this is what happened when it went from two to four, wasn't it? It mm. was. Remember when the Champions League started? It was the winners, so it was replaced the European Cup. Then very quickly it was lobbied, mm. so the runners up qualified to get in it. And then it went from two to four because they realised in Italy and in Spain and in England there was more than two big teams who wanted to spend money and get in it. And I guess this is the latest bit of the evolution. It's, it's now they look around and go, well. There's six big clubs, they think. Mm -hmm. And then you factor in Everton, who've got a lot of money and they're a big club, regardless. And then you add into that pot Wolves, who have got... I don't know how much Wolves are in the conversation, yeah. but they probably should be because they're a team that is going in the right direction. Leicester City have been up there or thereabouts. There's teams like Aston Villa, who are a big club, who might want to spend money. So all of a sudden, those top six are looking and going. And actually, when you look at the top six... Mm -hmm. I think they've only been the top in the top six, all of them, three times in ten years or three times in nine years or something. So calling them the big six is nonsense and, and all that. But I, I think you're right. I think to to echo what John said, I'd advocate letting them go if they push mm. that hard. I don't think all six of them could go anyway because I don't think that'd weight any kind of Super League. So I think 
a couple of them would be left behind anyway. Um, so, but I'd be advocating letting them go because I think we're strong enough here. I think from a fan perspective, and we spoke to Sai from the Redmen yesterday, it'd be the worst thing in the yeah, world yeah. for them because you're giving a sanitised game of footy every week. It might be exciting for a year, and then after that, mm. who would they argue with? Yeah. Who would they, they going off against? Because I know from my perspective, I'd never have a football conversation with them ever again about it. I'd just be like, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. You don't play in our league, I don't care. It's like me talking about Celtic and Rangers. It doesn't affect me. I'm not interested. So there's that side of it. And I think the football, I think the Premier League would be fine. But I do tend to agree. It's that thing when you're negotiating where you ask for outrageous stuff in the hope for getting stuff that you might be able to get um, that you wouldn't have got otherwise. Do you know what I mean? That's, Paul, that's where I am. Just... Um Something we just talked about there. If, what, how would you feel if the Premier League did go to say six Champions League places? How, how, um, you know, would you would you approve of that being an Evertonian? And also on the flip side of that, though, being someone who does watch a lot of like the Irish football, you watch a lot of the smaller teams cover the smaller teams over in Ireland. How do you think that would affect them if suddenly that chance of not maybe not Champions League, but you know, the, the Europa League, the, we've seen the Irish teams qualify, try and qualify every year, obviously. I don't think any, I, you could tell me different, but I don't know if any Irish teams ever got into the group stage. But how would you think that would well, affect them teams as well, not having the chance? Sorry, yeah, the Dark are actually in the group stages. They just got in, they qualified a couple of weeks ago. There you go, Irish that's what we've got, you're on. So they're they the mould Rapid Vienna and um, and Arsenal, but yeah, it has been getting harder and harder for for Irish clubs. I mean, Dundalk actually won the league last year. They started this season really really badly. It's changed their managers and stuff like that, and they fell down from the Champions League spot because they lost out in qualifying and and then got actually a handier whatever way they have the Europa League structured now. They have a they had a handier kind of seeding then coming through so they face the team from the Faroes they played that to get into the group stages so they're actually in which is brilliant for, for Irish football to have them now I don't expect them to be doing that well in the competition but hopefully they will but um, yeah it's it's a tough one uh, what I don't like is the the clubs that think that they're in control of the whole league and it does take away from everything you, you, you don't feel like you're part of the conversation you feel like that they're superior you and it's only what they think matters that's that's the feeling i get the way they kind of approach things and john mentioned there i like the, the pyramid the way it is at the moment and i think you know getting rid of that and get rid of those teams it takes away from a lot as well i think you're, you're taking rivalries out of the equation i just think if you did that the premier league would lose its appeal i don't think it will happen we do always hear that this Super League is going to happen every few years. You hear all these, you know, there's going to be 16 teams. It'll be Juventus, Real Madrid, Man United, and something like that. Man United have been struggling for how many years now to try and get back to any sort of, you know, um, like competing at the top or any sort of consistency. They just, so I don't understand where they come in and start thinking that they're the dog's bollocks here. I really don't get that. I mean, I know they're a massive club, but the way they go on. Like their owners and stuff like that. They literally, since 2012, they've been up and down like a yo-yo and, you know, every couple of weeks, oh, they're back, you know, and then they go back to, down the Swanee again. And this is the thing that annoys me is that we're the club on a rise and, you know, in a couple of years, I think we would be the clubs kind of, fin- or would be one of the teams finishing in this top six if it was to go like that. I know we're working our favour, more so probably, but, I just I like the way it is. I don't understand why it always needs change. Like no matter if something's right, they always seem to need to have to change it, whatever way they do it. And it just really it, it bugs me. It really does. But that's John. That's why they want to change it, isn't it? To, for for a club like Manchester United to make sure that they are always in there and they are always making money and there's those um, uncertainties disappear and it's not actually about what happens on the football pitch anymore because. They will have guaranteed finances every single year. I mean, you used that in your intro before, um, <clears throat> when Paul just before Paul responded about they want that guarantee. And there's almost an analogy here with that offside law we were talking about before, because you know you use the offside thing. If, if they change it, so there needs to be clear daylight between the you know the players for it to be offside. 
then we'll have VAR saying, actually, look, there's a teeny weeny little bit of shirt there, you know, that, that means he's not really offside. The point being that whenever you draw the line, there's always going to be a margin where it's A or it's B. So you say, well, they increase the number of Champions League qualifiers from the Premier League from four to six. Well, what happens when Man United are fearful that they're finishing the top six season because they haven't got the world's greatest centre-back playing? And they, and they start, do they want it to be the top eight then? Then the top 10, then the top 12. So teams adjust mm. and in, in short order, I think you're right. That, that there's an attraction there for an Arsenal or a, um, a Tottenham or whoever it is who think, that, or United in, in currently, who think they may be the ones finishing fifth, sixth, still go in the Champions League. Um, but that will change. So, yet they want guarantees. You've got owners, again, the, the, the US owners who've got franchises in the States that eat money as well. You look at Arsenal under Cronkay for many a long year. They've got a huge cash pile, but it's used as a guarantee against borrowings for what goes on in the United States. You've got Manchester City creating a worldwide football group. You know, the challenges and the demands on these, what are becoming footballing conglomerates or sporting conglomerates go way beyond the Premier League and UEFA. And, and so they have, in essence, a narrow perspective. And, and those clubs, their owners rather, have no interest whatsoever in the pyramid. They only have an interest in their own balance sheet and their profit and loss account. So we may just have to live with the fact that until these guys either, you know, acclimatise and go a little native... Uh, or until they move on, every couple of years, like Paul says, these sort of things are going to raise their head. And as you said, um, the timing will always be on and around when they want to influence decision-making. Mm. And, and if UEFA want to make the Premier League, um, you know, a bigger percentage of what goes on in the Champions League, then um, maybe we, in short order we would benefit. Because I think, for example, we'll finish in the top six this season. And, and if we establish ourselves there, then the money that the Champions League brings would make sure we stay in it. And that's what they want to do. They, they want to pull the ladder up behind them each time. And um, it spoils it. I mean, what was the quotation I think I saw in the media? And I'll shut up in a sec. You know, in recent weeks where, uh, you know, a Premier League exec apparently said, we don't want too many Leicesters, mm -hmm. you know. What we want is the same top six every year in a different order. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's the cartel that we want to be a party to. And sadly, you know, put your hand up if you don't think if Everton were in that top six that we'd be behaving any differently than they are. And, and that's perhaps the sad part. We only have our view because we're not in there. If we were in there, perhaps our view would be different. Who knows? Also, well, just to add to that, rather, John, we, this has come around because we know that the Champions League is getting, is getting revised, so it will be. We also know that there's yeah, it's the rights are back up in yeah. 2022 for the Premier League and for the European rights. So I think it is that thing with negotiation where mm. I'll ask for, I'll, I really want 60 grand mm. a week, but I'll ask for 100 grand a week and then I'll come back to you with 80 and then you'll come back to me and go, we'll give you 60 and I've got what I want. And I think it probably is that. And I think you're right, if you get six, I think we said it yesterday, if you get six Champions League places and then they give three Europa League places and then the one to the conference. The Premier League has half of the league in Europe, yeah. which means that those European competitions have got the biggest league in the world, most um, broadcast league, most popular league in the world. They've got 10 of those clubs playing in European competition, yeah. which then brings the spotlight onto Europe. Yeah, and with, um, as John mentioned before, this new UEFA conference league as well, that might be somewhere where they can put the the lesser teams or what they deem the lesser teams. Mm. And again, though, this changes all the time, like John was saying there. You know, Ajax at the moment probably are not, you know, after selling a raft of players, are mm. probably not going to do that well in the Champions League this season. But two seasons ago, they were very, very unlucky not to get to the final. Away from two seconds away from the and final. And that's the beauty of sport. That's the beauty of football, isn't it? Is that you build up to a point and it might be your highest point. You know, Tottenham got to the Champions League final and are not even in the Champions League this year. Mm. Two years late, you know, yeah, a year or so later. later yeah. um, that's the beauty of football, mm. and that's what these people don't well, want. Arsenal had twenty 
four years have been under Wenger and haven't been in it since. Exactly, I and, and so. John pointed out there, all these owners are NFL franchise owners or, or Major League Baseball franchise owners mm. who just make money every year. They don't mm. have to worry about relegation, they don't have to worry about the uncertainty of where where we finish or, or, or whatever. Most of them probably get into the playoffs over there as well. They are money making machines they, yeah. there's only so many teams there's only you can only support so many teams in in those sports football is completely different you can support whoever you want or you'll net or you'll support whoever your local team is and, and then you have to ride delegation. but then you have to ride that out for mm. the entirety and we know that more than anyone has been evertonians you know we've all well paul hasn't sadly but we've witnessed great times and now we're, we're, we are witnessing or have been witnessing some downtimes, and hopefully now we're back on, back on the up. That's what makes football football. Cyclic, isn't it? That's what makes it great. You just hope your cycles are shorter than whatever it's been <laughs> recently. Right, let's move on. Southampton this weekend, Sunday uh, afternoon, Two early o'clock. afternoon. Um, this, this is a tough one, Baz, for me. This is a tough game. Uh, Southampton are... They're a strange side because they're a little bit up and down, but I think they always cause teams to play trouble, and, and obviously going down there will be will be tough for us. I know we won last season, but it's not necessarily somewhere where we where we have a lot of joy. No, and obviously last year's match winner isn't playing under yeah. uh, That'll be a big blow for us to lose him, um, and it'll be a really tough game. Be the uh, arguably the toughest game we've faced because Liverpool are home is obviously that, but this is a a tricky one going without our best, one of our best players, if not our best player. Uh, well, Hammers is the best, isn't he? But just behind him. So it'll be a tough one. And we know, I think we all know we're 1 0 down anyway, because Danny Ing <laughs> scores against us every single time he plays against us. But um, but saying that, it's a game we can win. I mean, they've, they haven't got their wing wizard playing Theo. Can't play this week, haven't had an assist last week. So they've got a little bit of disruption to their team as well. So. While it's a very difficult game for Everton, we're top of the league, or mm. we are at the moment. Villa might change that Friday, but we go there, and the incentive is if you win there, you're top of the league again. Mm. And it's no reason why Everton can't go down and win. We can cause Southampton problems, but it will be a difficult game, definitely. John, how are you seeing this one? As as Baz just said, obviously we uh, we're missing Richarlison. Do you do you look at this one as uh, the way I do and think this could be a Potential banana skin? Um, no, um, I wouldn't say potential banana skin. I think that cliche-driven stuff is uh, there are no easy games in the Premier League. I mean, they're on a, a decent run, aren't they? Was it? Did they draw the last game? They won the two before that or something. Um, Ings, as you say, has got the hex on us. Um, what is it? Have we gone behind five times in a row now? So, you know, potentially we'll go behind again. But... Um, as long as our, our, our players are recovered, particularly those who went on international duty, obviously Richie doesn't need to recover, but Alan and, and James, and they get over the jet lag and, and so on. I can see a challenging game, but I think if we play to the standard we have been playing, Ped, we should win. Yeah. Spurs beat them 5-2 there, by the way. Yeah. Paul, are you confident of this one? Confident that we can get, uh, win this and go back top of the league? I'm more confident than I've been in previous years because I know we're, we're out with Charleston for this one and I do think he's one of the ones that really set the tempo for us. And when he's mm-hmm. playing well, generally we play well. But we have someone there, a match winner in James, who you know, can change a game for us in a split second. And we've never really had that. Well, you know, I, I can't go that far back to remember when I've witnessed it, you know, I started following Everton since 1997 and I don't really remember anyone having this much of an impact where he literally can change a game. You know, his left foot is absolutely magic. Um, and we've still got players there like Luca Dean and stuff like that. We've seen his quality. We've got Dom in the form of his life. So I'm going into this one. Yeah, OK, I'm a little bit, you know, worried about them with Ings. But other than Ings, you know, they're without Hoiberg now. They don't have him. He's gone to Spurs. So they don't have him there. They're not that great of a side, realistically. I know the manager, I like their manager, he's very good, Hasenhutl, and he has them set up very well. But I don't think they're, they're as good as they were last year as well. I think we've gone up a level, so I, I do see us winning this one. And I think, as John had said there, if our players are re- re- recuperated properly, I wouldn't imagine Seamus is going to be back mm. for this. I haven't heard anything. Um, but 
with players that can come in now and do a job, you know, I thought um, Godfrey done well when he came in the other day at the derby. I think he could he could slot in there handy enough. I think he'd be a good addition to the team. So I think this time around, we actually have strength and depth in our squad and we do have players that can come in, which in previous seasons we haven't had. So I'm maybe not as sceptical as maybe some of you are, but I, I do think we, we should win this game, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're... That's Ped, you were talking no, about. No, listen, I'm just, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just starting the conversation. I, I, I'm still not like... <laughs> fully on board yet I'm, I'm, it's going to take a little bit more time to convince me of this is a different Everton because that's just the way I am but um, there's definitely potential for changes in this game isn't there you know we probably as Paul mentioned there I don't think it's worth continuing to push Seamus Coleman if he's not fit then don't no. play him and we, in Ben Godfrey what we've seen last week Baz is a player that okay right back might be natural to him but it's certainly he's, he's certainly someone that we could Get 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 okay. Not what Seamus does out of him, but certainly from a defensive point of view, he's certainly got the the size, the speed, the strength to play in that position and do well for us. Yeah, he's he's comfortable on the ball. He's got the power and the pace. We saw that there was a run in the first half where he brushed three Liverpool players aside just with his speed and his his air power. So if we can get him overlapping a little bit in this one, then he could be a real threat. Um, so I've got no worries about him. He's comfortable enough. He's not a natural. It's not like playing Michael Keane at right back, mm. and Michael Keane as comfortable as he is, he's not like athletic. I don't think and could play the Yeri Mina couldn't go and play at right back, but I think Ben Godfrey, mm. a bit like Mason Holgate, is that ball playing player who can go and do the job at right back. So there's that. I think there's a real question mark over Andre Gomez. I mean, funnily enough, I've spoke to Paul from the Redmen who seemed to think Gomez was our best player at the weekend, which I don't know what game he was watching, but. Andre Gomez, for me, is one where there's a question mark. Maybe Gilfie Sigurdsson, and I didn't think I'd be saying that four yeah. months ago, could potentially come in. And obviously, we've spoke about the, the natural replacement for Richarlison probably being Alex Iwobi at the minute. But mm-hmm. it'll be an interesting one. But those players, at least we're talking about, listen, we're talking about an England under-21 centre-back coming in at right, but, you know, we bought for 20 million. We're talking about the, an Icelandic international maybe coming in to replace our Portuguese international. And we're talking about a Nigerian international who's played a lot of games. They're coming in to replace with Charles. And so it's not like we're scrapping around a few years ago where we're bringing Cuca Martina in and Aidan McGeady levels. And <laughs> Sorry, Paul. But, you know, um, those, kind, those kind of players, at least the squad, like Paul just said, is quite strong and has got good competition. Uh, John, as Baz was talking about there, Gilfie Sigurdsson's an interesting one, isn't it? Because obviously this is someone who was completely written off at the end of last season. People obviously uh, wanting to see him leave, but there is a real clamour from some fans at the moment to get him back in the side because of what they've seen so far this season. And that shows you that how far some of these squad players are now pushing to get into the side. It does. Um, as, as we've seen in many Premier League title winning sides you know all teams have relatively average players in them but they perform or look better than they perhaps would be in other teams simply because they've got good players around them and I think that's what happened with Gilfie he's got better players around him he's, he's had longer of uh, Carlo telling him what the crack is you know what's expected yeah um, and I for one was it with you Baz on the WhatsApp you said it was a strong team against the the, the RS and I said I'd have played Gilfie in that game, so 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 I would be and that was before kickoff of course yeah, um, but I would be cool with Gilfie in the team at the moment. I think he's he does a job. He's got an engine as well. He's slow to in, in the sense of he doesn't turn quickly, does he? But it, but he'll put the yards in. Gomez um, unless he's on the ball doesn't do anything and can be a liability. So. It, it's nice for the manager to, as you alluded to there, Baz, of thinking, shall I play my Portuguese international or shall I play my Icelandic international? Um, yeah. But, it, but Ped, you know, the fickleness of fans, get him out of our club becomes playing, yeah? Um, and, and that's, I guess, why uh, we're not managers and people like Carlo are, because they see the big picture, yeah? You get better with every game you don't play. Yeah, but the yeah. one thing I would say before you go to Paul is if Gilfie comes in, he may uh, solve the issue that we lose from it, the Charles from it goals, because he do, he can come up mm. with either a set piece or he can come up with. I mean, yeah. he scored one of his best goals for Everton. That's I know we lost the game 
ultimately 4-1. But that goal he scored at yeah. Southampton was incredible a few years ago. Yeah. It is important though, isn't it, Paul? You know, you 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 mentioned it with Seamus Coleman that we we do start using more of these squad players as we go into the season. I know players have got longer to recover with only one game a week for the next six weeks or so before we get into the busy December and January. But certainly for someone like Seamus Coleman, we've got to give him now, haven't we? And he's probably got to start trusting other players as well to 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 say, I'm not I'm not available this week. I'm I'm not ready. I'm not fit. So I'm going to let someone else play and and start just. Mm. We always want our best team, of course we do, but we also don't want our best team to be jaded and, and have, have little niggles and problems. So I think, you know, it is important, isn't it, that we start trusting in some of these other players. Yeah, well, it's also important for them to step up. I mean, you know, you look at a Wobie now, opportunity here now to play in this position on the left with Richardson playing there. You know, he probably hasn't had chances to play there. He probably did last season because we did the 4-4-2. But he has more of an opportunity to kind of stay higher now. Um, the thing about Iwobi is, and I find he's very frustrating. He can lose the ball a lot. Now, he has improved this season. And if he could just maybe get a goal or two and get his confidence up, it may be a case that we're wondering how do we get Richarlison back in the team, which would be a good thing, yeah. obviously. And uh, it's a chance for maybe someone like Anthony Gordon as well, if he's on the bench or Nkunku may come on or, or do something there. You never know. I think he's been really good. And could he play maybe in a, a left-wing position, not ahead of Iwobi, but maybe if we needed him to do it, could he do it? So we, we do have things that we probably need answered. I think as well, Delph can come in for Alan if he needs a break as well, which is another thing we, could, we look at as well. So I think if you look around the squad, it's nice to have these options, which I would say last season... We definitely didn't have, and especially in the centre mid, we had a black hole, and it was just, yeah, it was just horrendous. So now it's nice to have these options that we have players that can come in, and if we need, well, it's up to them now to, to you know, make their claim for that spot. I mean, we've got a brilliant manager there who we all, I could say now, we all trust. We've seen what he could do, who he could bring in, and you know, this is the squad he's happy, uh, he's assembled, and he's happy with it at the moment. So. We can only trust him what he, he what he wants, but again, it's it's these players need to take their opportunities now. I think. I, I actually, I mean, going back to something you just said there about a Wobi, I actually like the idea of if a Wobi plays well in these three games. Listen, Richardson will come back. There'll be no no mm -hmm. doubt about that. And mm -hmm. Richardson actually said he was not fully fit Saturday, so when he does come back, and he won't actually come back till November the twenty first, I think, because of the international break. So he's going to be out yeah. for over a month. Right. But a Wobie could actually fill that space in the middle of the park as well. You know, this Andre Gomez Sigurdsson situation, you could add a Wobie to that position as well because he could play there. I mean, you only have to go back to last season at, at Southampton. He came on and played in that number 10 mm. role and changed the game for us last season. Mm. So he's definitely mm. um, someone who could go in that role as well. And John, we see, we've seen him last season, didn't we? He played a few uh, good cameos in that role and has proved he can play in it. Yeah, I, th I think he has proved it, and, and it is probably and genuinely debatable what his best position is, whether he sees himself as a 10 or all those other numbers that people like Andy McGregor tried to explain to me. Um, but it gives... ...though, doesn't it, Ped? And, you know, and everybody steps yeah. up a, a, a marker as well because there's a spare place on the bench if one of the bench guys is now on the field. Yeah. And, and we can also have in-play changes as well. So maybe he could start a Wobie on the left when it comes to substitution time. He puts Gordon on, and then Wobie goes into the ten because he he then rests mm. guilt whoever. So mm. so the manager has choices, but uh, so far he seemed to be the sort of manager who has his go-to first choice team, which he won't necessarily change yeah. uh, unless there's you know an external thing that's happened. So I'm assuming we're going to have the nine starters that we had um, against the other lot. Minus Seamus and, and minus Richie, uh, and, and and I guess the question then, is, as we've been debating, is just who gets those those spots, and they've got what another day or so of hard training to to make the manager pick them, and that's the point, isn't it? They will all be saying to themselves, "I can be in the starting eleven." Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think if if it will be, because Gomez is just off it at the moment. Mm. And I understand what John's saying. He, he, he does trust Andre Gomez because he's the only one of the three midfielders who actually keeps hold of the ball. The core is a, an athlete. Alan is a break hero. But I think a Wobie can go in there and give us something 
that the other two don't give us. What I would say is I think it's important over the next six weeks that we do get an idea of who can come in and where they can come in because mm. that that December and January period is Tough, is, is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous the amount of games and obviously you add that the Carabao Cup, Manchester United, the week the week Christmas week December, as well. Isn't it? yeah. It's we're playing a lot mm-hmm. of big sides and there's gonna have to be changes Rotation. and the manager's gotta find that trust. And the only way he's gonna find that trust is by allowing players to come in and do a job and he'll know that from the training pitch and they've got to take the chance. Exactly that as well. That as well. Listen, big thank you to John Blaine, big thank you to Paul Neelan from Irish Football Fan TV. Uh, great to have you on the podcast, guys. Oh, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. And it's nice to meet Paul as well. Hopefully we'll do it again. Thanks very much for having me on. Cheers. Man. Always a pleasure. Nice to meet you as well, John. Top man. There you go. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening or watching the video if you're on Patreon. We'll be back next week. We'll see you then.